Dear listeners, welcome at this seventh episode of the Meet the Expert podcast series. And in this series, Meet the Expert, together with well-known experts from around the globe, we explore challenges and opportunities in the big veterinary world. And in this episode, we're going to talk about a virus that is well known to me, African swine fever virus. And in more detail, we're going to zoom in on the situation in Vietnam and how they've been trying to get the virus under control. We'll have special attention for the so-called tooth extraction method, strategy to block the spread of the virus. The Meet the Expert podcast series is a co-production of Böhringer Ingelheim Animal Health and Pig Progress. My name is Vincent Tebeek, I'm editor for Pig Progress, and I am the host of today's episode. Um, today's guest is based in Duluth, Georgia, United States, uh, as Dr. Krista Goodall, obtained, who obtained her DVM title from Kansas State University in the US, and she did her PhD at Iowa State University. And after various positions within the swine business, she became global technical manager for Berlinger Ingelheim Animal Health. So welcome, Krista. We're really happy to have you here. Thank you, Vincent. Very glad to be here. Excellent. And as we said, we are going to talk about the African swine fever situation in Vietnam. And perhaps as a start, it is good to go over the situation there a little bit, because how is the situation with African swine fever there? Well, as is well known, Vietnam is known for its predilection for pigs. So after China, it was one, it was the country being home to most pigs in Asia. And uh, in the last census before ASF in 2018, the FAO figures the country had 28.2 million pigs. First ASF outbreaks were reported in Vietnam in 2019, and the virus quickly swept through the entire country. All 63 provinces confirmed presence of the virus. Farms as well as smallholders were affected strongly, and based on the FAO figures, Vietnam lost at least 30% of its pig herd due to ASF. Then in 2019, the pig numbers were down to 19.6 million. And at the moment, Vietnam is well on the way to rebuild its industry with more attention than ever for biosecurity and pig health. And according to the data from the Vietnamese Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development, the pig inventory level in 2021 was back at 28 million pigs. And the entire world are currently watching how Vietnam is doing with the first round of vaccinations in various provinces against African swine fever virus. That doesn't mean all that the virus is completely gone because against the image of a rebuilding industry is also the notion that the virus has still been detected in 47 provinces at least this year. So knowing where the virus is and knowing how to deal with it is still essential. And this is where the research of Dr. Goodall comes in. So Dr. Goodall, back to you. Um, you spoke about African swine fever at the recent uh, International Pig Veterinary Society Congress in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil held in June. Um, in this podcast, we've spent attention to the tooth extraction method as a strategy to overcome an ASF infection. Um, I think after this long, long introduction, you might want to explain what is that all about? Sure, I can sure do that. So the tooth extraction method is an interesting term, of course, actually. Um, and I believe that it comes from a translation of a Chinese term that actually means to remove an infected animal after clinical signs are detected. And 
I think we can back up a little bit. When the, the China African swine fever outbreak happened, there was devastation, right? We had millions of, of pigs being culled and and the swine industry in China um, was, I think 40% was a, a term that I've, um, a number that I've seen. They've lost about 40% of the herd at that time. So when we look at African swine fever and we look at the standard protocols for um, control and elimination, most of them use um, full depop repop. And so when a herd is positive and the herd is cold and then repopulated, if you're losing 30%, 40% of your entire Chinese swine population in the swine industry, you're not going to have a lot of pigs in farms or even to replace them. And so this was very quickly determined that, you know, um, necessity is the mother of invention. If they can't call entire herds, what might be the next best option? We do know that African swine fever is a very slow transmitting virus. Um, there are all sorts of things that our, our study learned that is uh, supporting the evidence that it doesn't mean it's not present. It just may not be clinically present. And so the, the necessity was rather than removing 100% of the herds and replacing them, what is the likelihood that you can remove the virus if you identify a clinical animal and with the suspicion that the most at-risk animals would be the neighbor on the left and the right of that animal in a sow farm we're talking about, um, that then became the tooth extraction method. So typically it was the animal that was sick as well as her neighbor on either side. It became modified to maybe two animals on either side. Um, and that was in technically what was then um, published or publicized as the tooth extraction method. Now, what also was shared was at the beginning of this that had variable success. I mean, it had between 30 and 80 percent success rates. And so that really was one of the questions we wanted to understand was these numbers seem arbitrary, right? So if you're looking at a clinical animal and you only take the animals next to her, what is the likelihood that you actually may not be removing all of the African swine fever in that farm? Yeah, when they say when you talk about thirty to eighty percent um, uh, success rate, uh, does success rate mean um, that it totally worked on that farm, or does that mean that on that particular site the the virus was gone? How how, how did they define that, or is that also? Yep. And that's a very good point. Again, there were several different um, reports and presentations for groups that would go into China and then come back and report at, at our AASVs and those sorts of things in our professional um, meetings. And, and what was determined was that if the virus, if clinical signs were not repeated, and again, their time frame may have been six months, their time frame may have been a year, but it all depended on what they were reporting as a, as a time frame of uh, continued negative or no clinical signs reported, that was what determined success rate. Now, I can tell you that if African swine fever was not removed from the farm, you're going to see clinical signs within the next weeks, right? So so it probably wasn't hard to determine that success rate didn't work or that it was working if, you know, six months later, a year later, you don't have signs of clinical um, ASF and you haven't tested positives on, on a diagnostic test. And did they also, did they just remove anything that looked 
particularly um, sick or because you can also just remove an unlucky animal that wouldn't have spread anything. It was just in a bad state. Right. Yes, absolutely. And we actually found that in our study as well. So so the thing with um, the tooth extraction method, which now is is more um, better termed uh, a partial depopulation. Um, I think new terms are precision removal. That's a, a term <laughs> that I'm hearing currently. Um, targeted depopulation. Mm -hmm. I think what, what was reported and what continues to be reported when you have successes. So I think if you ask some of the, um, some of the teams that are consulting in China, what is working, they would say that this is actually working in farms where they are absolutely addressing clinical signs immediately. And then they're testing a significant number of animals, possibly even in a whole, a whole herd. So you'll, you will increase your success rate if you do more testing, removing animals that you may not physically see as clinical, but you're absolutely right. They would err on the side of caution. Um, the, the less uh, success they had, then they would end up changing their protocol to say, we're going to remove more animals in hopes that we would be removing animals that may be harboring African swine fever, but not necessarily clinical yet. Yeah. So ad addressing immediately as well as testing a lot, those are two components that m may lead to success for this. So, well, um, but yeah, if it means that a large part of the herd can continue to live, I think that clearly shows the importance of your in of your of this this type of research. Correct. Correct. And so our our research really wanted to understand what might be missed, right? So if we're making assumptions about which animals should be removed, and then we're arbitrarily just choosing the animals right around that sow, it's possible that we aren't really considering how African swine fever may have come into the farm, right? We might not be considering the origin of that transmission. And so we, in our study, decided, we, as we assumed that there was a water trough, uh, a common water trough in, in these sow farms, which we ultimately found was not the case, but that's what based our, hey, if we looked at that animal that was clinical, rather than assuming one animal on either side, we thought if we looked four additional animals up the trough and 10 additional animals down the trough, again, with the assumption that we have a common water trough, what might we find um, if you tested all of those animals. So rather than testing the animal right next to that clinical animal, we tested 14 animals close to the close to that clinical sound. And we had very revealing results. Briefly, could you could you explain how the how the tests were uh, how the trial was set up as you would sure. um yeah. Sure. So what this uh, study was a collaboration that was funded by SHIC, the Swine Health Improvement Center. And uh, the collaboration was between the uh, Nang Lam University in Vietnam. Uh, it, it also collaborated with uh, the Beringer Ingelheim veterinarians that lived in Vietnam, as well as producers that um, were willing to uh, enroll in this project. And so we in the U.S. would support with um, knowledge and some tests also that we sent to Vietnam, but the collaboration was completely uh, boots on the ground in Vietnam with the university, the producers, and the veterinarians um, doing all of that legwork. So it was it was really phenomenal to me in in 2020 when uh, you know most of us were uh, unable to travel because of COVID, etc. We made this. You work. never made it to Vietnam, then uh, I, I understand. 
No, no. I didn't. But we made the study work, which is to me a, a great um, activity, so, a great event. So it was a masterpiece of coordination and yes. uh, delegation, so to say, all the time. Correct. And communication, right? So we all <laughs> were communicating all the time to make sure that not, no balls were dropped, but also that people mm. had what they needed. Excellent. Please continue. Yeah. So our study um, was based on the detection of clinical signs. So we would say that it was a suspected African swine fever event that was from the, the um, caregivers at the South Farm. So this was really an identification at the South Farm level by laypersons on animals that were exhibiting classic or, or you say clinical signs of fever, off feed, abortions, um, you know, reddening of the skin, um, you know, the, the piglets that were not doing well, et cetera. But you, you know that those are also clinical signs of PERS and classical swine fever, which Vietnam also has. So the identification of a suspected animal is what triggers the event. And then when that when uh, our team was contacted, the team went in and um, assisted with the bleeding of those uh, the the clinical animal herself, and then four animals up and ten animals down from her position in the in the um, this what do you call it snake or gestation. Um, but that was the collection of those samples. They were returned to the laboratory and within 24 hours uh, using an OIE reference PCR, those results were reported back to the farm. Mm -hmm. And then you would quickly figure out sometimes it wouldn't be African swine fever at all and sometimes it would. Correct. And actually, with those 52 events that we um, collected samples at, 33% of them were not African swine fever. None of the 15 samples that were collected at those farms. So that also um, is an indication of you can't assume, right? You can't assume. And if you were to remove animals 100% of the time, 33% of that, you'd be removing animals that wouldn't need to be. And, and in our in our study, we found that one of the reasons that farms were believing that this was African swine fever is that they were using um, commercial point of care tests, the lateral flow tests, because they don't really have access to laboratories and good diagnostics. And so we do have to take into account that there are um, low sensitive tests, um, low specific as well, but low sensitive tests that are being used. Um, in this case, if they're giving false positives, that would be a specificity issue. And so we have to, to in, in one of the, the conclusions we have is really support at the producer level, better um, and, and better quality diagnostics in these events of um, detecting clinical animals, but really getting good diagnostics and PCRs that will give them the results to understand, yes, is it a true African swine fever or not? It's easier said than done, I think. Absolutely. And in some of these mm. rural places, you know, we we had samples from northern, central and, and southern Vietnam. And yes, some of them are very rural. We had farms that were, um, you know, they were non-walled farms. You know, they were open to the outdoors. We had farms that were less than 200 sows. Um, we also had farms in our in our study that were 4,800 sows. Right. So we had all sorts of a variety represented in this study to me, which was, again, fantastic. But it goes to show you that in some of these rural places, they don't have access to these diagnostics. And so what can we do to help them and support them? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And then there is also, I suppose, a cultural and language difference that all these things also need to be bridged in order to make things work. Right. And and that's a really great point, Vincent. So one of the th- things that we came up, our study lasted um, over a year to collect those 52 events. And one of the reasons was, was that a producer assumed that we were going to go in, test the clinical animal, test the two neighbors on the other side. And when we went in and said, we want to test 15 animals, they said, no, we don't want you because of COVID and because they didn't want African swine. They were worried that, that there could be other transmission. And so there were some significant barriers that when we actually came into the situation, it became a little more difficult um, because of those those things that you were just mentioning. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um If I go fast forward to your conclusion, um, you mentioned that the tooth extraction method, or as you said, a partial re- uh, depopulation, was not sufficient to eliminate African swine fever virus from a from a sow farmer. Uh, what results made it made you think that way? Okay, that the this 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 method is not exact enough, or doesn't generate you know, a sufficient amount of the results that you think okay, this is a safe method to go by. Right. So the, the, the question we really um, were very clearly uh, proving was that so we had animals um, uh, 66% of the time. So 33% they were not positive, but 66% they were positive. And when you look at the distribution of where those positives were, of course, about 45% maybe 50% were within one and two animals from that clinical south. But in the end, we had 45%, over 45% beyond those sows. And so if yeah. you think about it... You can say in that way that the, the tooth extraction method does work to a certain extent, but it is definitely not a method to say we definitely will always get it under control. Exactly. And that kind of yeah. gets back to our original thought of, well, when you have such variable success ranging from, you know, 25, 30% all the way up to 80%, now you can understand, oh, how does that happen? Well, sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes you're lucky and it's just those two or three animals, but most often you're not, right? So 30% of the time um, in our study, over 30% of the time, there was a positive, even if you remove those four animals. Um, and so so it was very interesting for us to to look at that and then to say, maybe the conclusion should be, in addition to it, more testing, um, focusing more on the events that have been occurring in that farm that could have brought the virus in. So one of the things that we did was we we um, surveyed the farms uh, for, uh, I've got a, a list here, um, their location, their sow herd size, the type of facility, whether it was open or enclosed, whether or not they'd had a previous outbreak. Um, and then the last one, the first clinical signs appeared less than or greater than seven days. And when you look at all of those um, descriptive data, the the interesting thing is, although some of them were confounded, you know, some of the small farms were located in in, uh, individual regions, right? So there aren't always small farms all over and there aren't always big farms all over. But what we found that was very clear was that for those farms that identified and tested and were able to make actions within seven days of detecting that clinical sign, they were significantly more likely to have fewer positive animals. On the other side, um, those farms that were actually identifying 
after they were identifying and then calling us after a week. So the clinical signs had been in that farm. Those farms were over three times more likely to have more sows positive in their herd. So another conclusion that we came from our study was that early identification and early implementation of your activity, the earliest you can do that, the more likely it is that you actually will be successful to remove African swine fever. And again, I think part of that is doing your investigation to understand, hey, what were we doing a week ago, 10 days ago? What were the things that we could have um, had moving in, you know, bringing African swine fever in? And then, of course, testing more animals, right? So, so that's part of the, the thing that we do have to either overcome or offer alternatives to these more rural locations that don't have access to a laboratory within a couple hours. I see. I see. So basically, the, the the tooth extraction method you can help it to be more successful. Also by by being quick, by being transparent. I suppose I've used that word quite often because transparency, I think, is also something that makes a hell of a difference if you can, it, whether it can work or not. Right. And then also testing, 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 as you said. Yes, I actually have recently read a, a report from China. Uh, again, China's been doing at this a few years now, right? So I think they have perfected it and, and they don't want to have DPOPs, total DPOPs. They want to be successful. And what I'm reading is that when they have a clinical animal detected, they're testing 100% of the animals in that barn immediately, 100% of the animals. And some of those farms in China are not small. Right. So so we're talking about the understanding of what diagnostics bring to, you know, ASF control. And again, like you said, the immediacy of, hey, we acknowledge we've got a problem. We need to dive in and, and get some testing done so that it's a smaller problem than what could happen if, it, if we wait. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that the tooth extraction method is well, would you consider it better than nothing if there is no other tools available or would you not recommend it in any way? So I think that it has to be coupled with what are you going to do about it, right? We have to get those diagnostics done. We have to be testing on a more routine basis. What we found was, and again, with the data that I just shared with you, the vast majority of these animals are not clinical. The vast majority, right? So we had in 86 total positive samples, we had 35 of them as the indicator, as the single clinical animal. All the rest were not. So the majority of the animals are not clinical when you actually have that first clinical. And that's why, to me, there's a lower success rate because your assumption is as soon as the animal gets African swine fever, they get clinical. And that's not a fair assumption. They're going to harbor the virus and shed the virus. That's the part is they're still going to shed even though they're not clinical. So diving in, doing the diagnostics, but you're already behind the eight ball once you have your first clinical animal. And, and again, part of the, the, um, the challenge in Vietnam when we talk about tooth extraction is are you going to test 100% of the animal? Who's going to pay for that? Um, how soon can you get those diagnostics to the laboratory? And is that test going to be a quality test? Has the sample been handled appropriately? Has it stayed cold? You know, we're talking about tropical environments, and that's not what we need to do with blood. Um, so there are all sorts of things that we really need to put in place to allow this partial DPOP or um, precision removal to be successful. But do I think that it's going to work without it? I don't. I think that we're still going to have very varied responses and very um, variable success rates. Um, and so I think that we have to support uh, 
the the whole process of how are we going to eliminate African swine fever from the farms, not just remove animals, but eliminate, make make them successful programs. I think, as you say, that that there there is a there is a lot of difference between what what sounds probably the right thing to do in theory and practice in the field. I think, as you say, the temperature, cultural differences, um, well, will will samples stay cold? Indeed, all these kinds of things. Okay, you want you want them to be effective, but whether or not it happens in practice is a different question. Right. Yeah. Um, you briefly mentioned just now that African swine fever virus DNA was detected sometimes here um, and the animals were not clinical. Does that mean that uh, pigs could contract the virus without actually getting sick? Or were these just animals who had just contracted the virus and were oh, on their way to becoming sick? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. Um, we actually know that we are dealing with type 2 African swine fever. That's So it's the Georgia strain that's over in Southeast Asia as well as China. And so we know that it's got a very high mortality rate, right? It's a very slow transmitting virus, but um, ultimately we've seen mortalities between 90 and 100% depending on the age um, and the population. Now, in saying that, we know it's not always 100%, right? So we know that there are animals that are surviving, um, and we know that the more we have African swine fever staying in a country or staying in farms, we can actually have the virus changing and adapting and animals doing the same, right? So, so it is quite possible that you can create populations that may become Im immune, um, although chronic, um, chronically infected and or having chronic um, debilitations, right? Low growth rates, et cetera. I was going to say there is a difference between not having a problem and surviving. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. And I think what we identified, because the majority of our farms were first um, events, they were events that um, I think we had uh, rebreaks in only six of the systems and 46 of them uh, were new. So in the end, do I think that animals eventually will become clinical? Yes, I do. I think the vast majority, when you are talking about an outbreak with this particular virus, is very, um, it's a lethal virus for the most part, but I think we have to be very careful to assume it will always be that way, which is why I worry that if we assume that African swine fever elimination can be slow, I, I think that will end up biting us. I think that we could end up with animals that can maintain the virus. Um, obviously, we can have sows uh, farrowing piglets and providing maternal antibodies if she actually was infected. And so can we have a piglet that's got maternal antibodies be infected and then uh, not succumb to the virus? I think that's possible too. So I think we could be setting ourselves up for endemicity and survival right, rather than 100% um, mortality, which again is, is the urgency to understand how we can have a better success rate in uh, cleaning up these farms. Yeah, and in that sense, yeah, you, you will only find out that an animal is positive by, by doing the testing indeed. Correct. Um, what has been the result on the ground in Vietnam for you? Um, well, is well, have have the have have the recommendations, the outcome of the research led to a different approach of of um, of, of of trying to detect the uh, the presence of African swine fever? Do you feel? 
So I think that China has come a long way. I think that China actually realizes, and again, there's a lot of support, there's a lot of funding, and of course, the value of pork went really high, right? When we don't have a lot of pigs, there's a lot of money to be made in um, saving animals and um, those those farms that actually had farms survive, had pigs survive, probably made a lot of money. So in saying that, the investment in diagnostics probably had a large part to do with the current success, right? So if they're doing more testing and they're doing testing early, they're probably being very successful in, in eliminating the virus. Now, are they focusing on biosecurity? Are they focusing on the things that will keep ASF out, we have to always, always be hounding on that and always be understanding if we're, our best practices on biosecurity um, are, are being managed and, and implemented the, the way we want them to be on an every day. Are we there in right Vietnam? I don't think so. And I think that's part of it because who's investing in the diagnostics, right? If a producer has to pay to test all of those animals, that's not going to happen. Part of our study was also to look at point-of-care tests. Um, as I mentioned, the lateral flow tests were just not sufficient on specificity or sensitivity, but we also tested three commercial PCR point-of-care tests. And the interesting thing was actually all three of those were very um very good, since uh, had very good sensitivity and specificity in the clinical situation. So they were very high, it was 98%, as, as we would expect on a PCR, for detecting that clinical animal as positive. But again, where we failed was um, when we compared the test results of the point-of-care PCRs to that uh, reference laboratory, the OIE tests, they fell off when we started getting non-clinical animals. Right. So when we had non-clinical animals and oh, by the way, when they're non-clinical, they probably have less virus, which is what, again, our, our study showed. We had CT values much higher in uh, the non-clinical animals. That's when the PCRs weren't as sensitive either. So the PCRs were not picking up the positives as easily if they weren't clinical. So that gets to the point of we can use these point-of-care PCRs um, because, again, it allows us at least to do diagnostics at the farm level. Um, but, but we have to be careful because I don't think that they're going to be helpful at all for elimination programs. They might tell you if this particular animal is positive. But you're, again, behind the eight ball if you're waiting until an animal's positive because then you know that it's in your farm and it very well could be in other animals that just aren't clinical yet. So, again, it's that balance of understanding, do we have the right tools to get to the producers in those locations that are, and again, that are good quality tools? And maybe how can we get some of these laboratories, um, maybe satellite sites, right? It's like, how can we, how can we support and get it more local? so that the testing can get done and results can get um, returned in a timely fashion. And we know that there's quality behind them and that the sample has been handled handled well as well. So I see, I see. But at least the point of care um, the PCR tests could be an additional tool, if not used to, to give um, well, total 100% uh, clarity about the situation. Right. And I think I think that's probably where people need to start is right now, if we don't have the ability to test it all, well, the majority of your herd may go positive. Right. So like we said, if you can't identify it and do something within seven days, you're going to have a lot more positives. So maybe it does get you that first step. But I think helping helping the country plan and then get access to, OK, now what? Right. Once once you have people that are realizing, oh, ASF is a bad thing, I'm going to end up losing my entire farm, then the investments of understanding how do we get 
better lab, better lab testing, um, closer laboratories, or a more efficient way of getting samples to the laboratory. I think that all is part of um, how the next the next wave of collaboration uh, is going to help with the success of, of ASF elimination in those Southeast Asian countries. Okay, that may, makes all sense. I have one more question. That's actually, is there any uh, follow-up research planned or is there any uh, any plans to kind of um, well, make more steps and develop uh, diagnostics methods even better in Vietnam? Is there something going on at the moment? I think that there's, um, with with the, the African swine fever vaccine that is currently being um, proposed and, and implemented in a small trial, I think uh, with the U.S. and Philippines work that's being done, I think there's only a very short amount of time between um, the, the value, of understanding the value of collaborating with Vietnam to learn more, to have more access to doing the right thing with testing and diagnostics. I'm not aware of some of those studies, but I know there's a lot of activity. And again, Vietnam is very interested in being successful in eliminating African swine fever. Protein number one is pork, right? Just like in China. So so they want to be successful. Um, the countries that don't have ASF want to help. They want to learn. Um, and so, yes, I think there's going to be, and um, currently is probably a lot of work, boots on the ground, um, and there's just a lot of activity. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, the last question I had for myself is, um, what, what's the interest of Beringer Ingelheim to be involved in this kind of research? So Beringer Ingelheim is a knowledge leader, right? So we mm. don't have a product, we don't have diagnostics, but we sure as heck want to help the producers, we want to help the industry. And um, the really neat thing about it was we proposed, we said, hey, can we, can we do this study? Um, we have producers, we have a veterinary team, we had uh, links with, like I said, I said, Nanglong University, and it all worked, and we were funded, and it was fantastic. So to me, Beringer Ingelheim wants to support these industries that um, that need help, even though we may not have a, um, a foot in the game, we absolutely are supporting the um, the industry and the people that are in the pork, uh, pork system. So it, to me, it was um, really... Not only was it successful, but um, I, I really appreciated it. It was very gratifying to be able to work with such talented and, um, you know, dedicated people. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate BI's funding of it as well. Yeah, I could imagine as well that it helps to understand the virus a little bit better, especially that, well, the virus is not in the United States, is, well, hopefully not very strongly in Germany, apart from the Eastern Germany in the, in the wild boar, but that actually, the more you can know about how the virus behaves, then it is not just some, some kind of a far away virus, but you've actually uh, looked at it and looked, uh, looked it in the eye, so to say. Right. Yep. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, again, biosecurity is this Pandora's box right now. Mm -hmm. And we all want to understand how is it getting to these farms? Because animals aren't getting sick within two days. Sometimes it's 10 days. Sometimes it's just one animal and it takes a month until it's, you know, half the farm. And so really understanding from the very beginning and being able to, to have those questions and investigations on biosecurity is also going to be a huge uh, impetus here in the future. Mm -hmm. You can see that with COVID, I think we're still learning about how the virus actually transmits yes. and how it behaves. Okay, um, I think I have asked my, all my questions. Did I forget anything or was there anything that you wish to add? 
I think that we've covered, um, you know, the the high points of the study. I think that the the collaboration again um, was really phenomenal. We had uh, Professor Tuan's and Professor Dewey's laboratories and their uh, research associates in the Nanglam University. Again, our, our veterinarians on the ground and the producers in Vietnam that collaborated. Uh, I can't thank everyone enough. Um, and I think that this is only the beginning of how we work together to solve problems, right? And I, I think mm. it was really a great example of that. Sounds fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Goodell. Um, and I think it helps helped, uh, us to cast more light on a still mysterious threat, I think, for the international swine industry. Um, I'd like to thank you having you on the podcast. Um, quick look ahead, because in the next episode, we shall be talking about pig welfare, Totally different subject, but very exciting and one with a lot of animal health angles, as you will learn. So make sure not to miss that one. Um, we look forward to having you all present. For now, thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Goodell, for her presence and good luck um, with everything that you're going to do in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vincent. I had a wonderful time. Thank you, everyone. Okay, bye-bye.